one and all. Um, we started a new series last Sunday. Hannington spoke, and it, the series we've entitled Coming Alive. And it, it's centered on some words of Jesus that are probably familiar to you. You'll find them in John chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus brings us life. He brings life to the whole of life and to the whole of the universe. He comes to bring life. And in these coming weeks, we're going to be thinking about ways that Jesus brings life to us. We're going to be thinking about how we can uh, become alive spiritually, um, alive creatively, alive financially, how we can become work and rest alive. That's an important one. It's a really important one. Um, and today, we're going to be thinking about how we can become more alive environmentally. And again, this is a really important topic. If you're a follower of Christ, this should resonate with your heart. It really should resonate. So I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Ruth Valerio. That's your full title. I don't know whether you knew we use that, but I go for the full one. Um, Ruth is the Global Advocacy and Influencing Director at Tear Fund. Her Twitter bio reads that she is an environmentalist and theologian, social activist, and author. Can we welcome Ruth, and then I'll pray for you. So, Ruth, we're delighted that you've come to join us today. Thank you. Can delighted I just pray for you? Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay? And then you can sure. let people know if I've made any mistakes and who you are. <laughs> Ruth, we bless you today in Jesus' name. We're uh, delighted to have you here, and we're looking forward, Jesus, to what you have to say to us through Ruth. And so, Ruth, we um, pray for you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill Ruth afresh, that you'd empower her words to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Andy, for that introduction and for using my full title. Actually, when you get back onto your emails on Monday, you will find one from me that I wrote on Friday saying, little amendment to the PowerPoint. Could you take the doctor off? Because <laughs> it doesn't sort of feel appropriate <laughs> in this kind of a context. But, 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 so, so you might tackle then when you, <laughs> when you see that. <laughs> but it's really good to be here. Uh, and a great way for me to start off my new year. I'm glad you said Happy New Year because I still feel like it's a bit of Happy New Year and welcome to 2020 and kind of just working out what does that look like with this new decade. And I'm thrilled to be starting my year with you. I wasn't, for various reasons, wasn't able to get to my own church last week. So this is actually my first church service or meeting of the decade, of the year, um, and it's my first speaking engagement of the year, of the decade as well. And a little while ago, I put together on, on my website, I have up a, a list of um, the different engagements that I've got during the year, and I put them up, and I, I was at Tear Fund, I was sitting at my table, and I, I said to the person sitting next to me, my goodness, I look so Anglican. All these different engagements coming in from the Anglican Church, which isn't my background, so I'm really thrilled to be here and kind of naming, you know, staking the, the church position that I come from. So great to be a part of you this morning. And thank you, I just want to say thank you to you as a church from Tear Fund, because I know that you support us and you give regularly to the work that we do and 
so I just wanted to say thank you very much for that because it really does help and it really does make a difference. So we're looking at this idea of coming alive environmentally. Isn't that a slightly strange title, isn't it? I bet when you thought of the series Coming Alive, that probably wasn't the next word in your mind that might have occurred to you. But as Andy said, this is such an important thing for us to be thinking about. Why should we think about coming alive environmentally? How do we think about Jesus' words that I've come to give you life and life to the full? Is that only for human beings? Or maybe, as Andy intimated, it extends to all of what God has created and everything that God has breathed his life into. And I want to look with you a little bit biblically at this notion of coming alive environmentally and then look with you at, okay, so how do we actually do that? So I want to, to take you through four really, what I hope are pretty obvious points, really, around what, what does this mean? Why should thinking about environmental care be part of the series? around coming alive. And the first point is the really basic one, that God made this world and he loves it. We sang that amazing song earlier um, about, I can't even remember all of the words, you know, uh, there was so much in it. You know the one that I mean about, you know, if the mountains do, well, I will, you know, if the mountains do this, I'll do that, I'll do it too, and if the oceans roar, then I will too, and you know, I, I would really recommend you find that song on the internet and just take some time to read through those words. That's one of the most jam-packed songs, theologically, I think I've sung for a very long time. It's absolutely wonderful. And that was a real expression of God's love and heart for this world that he has made. Genesis 1.31 says that God looked at all that he had made, and what did he say? He said it is almost. <laughs> God looked at each of the individual days, so to speak, and at the end of that day said it's good, and then he looked at all that he had made and said it is very good. Now, I know a little bit of New Testament Greek. I don't know much Hebrew, so this isn't an academic translation. But my translation of Genesis 1.31 is that God looked at all that he had made and he said, it is fantastic. I love it. Look at this. Do you know when you've made something, if you've, if you've made an amazing meal or you've done an incredible piece of something or other, you know, and you go to someone you love and you say, look at this, this is amazing. This is what God is doing. He's not a dispassionate God who kind of sits back and says, oh yeah, that will be all right, well, you know, that will do for the time being. No, God looks at all that he has made and says, it is very good. It is wonderful. And just in that little couple of words, we've been blown away 2,000 years of bad theology but have separated out the earthly sphere, the sphere that is touchable, tangible, physical, material, from the so-called spiritual 
sphere, the ethereal, intangible, immaterial sphere, and has said that somehow this sphere is superior to the earthly, tangible one. And we've seen that in so many different ways through church history, and I haven't got the time to unpack it now. But Genesis 1.31 brings those things together and says that matter matters to God. Not only human beings, who of course we are absolutely important and God loves us to bits, not only human beings, but everything that he has made, God loves. He created it. He didn't create it as something rubbish to be discarded and ignored, but he created it as something with absolute value. I was speaking on this uh, at a conference um, a little while ago, and it was an overnight thing, and I spoke on it in the evening. And the next morning, uh, a young lady came up to me, and she'd gone home that night because she lived nearby and she had young children. And she said, that morning, this the, the morning she came up to speak to me, she said, you know, I was playing with my little boy and we were doing Lego. And we were, we, can, we were building houses together. She said, I made this amazing house. She said, I probably put you know, a little bit too much into it. But I made this incredible house with turrets and all sorts. And I just thought it was amazing. And my toddler looked at it and he came over and it went wham and he knocked the whole thing over. So I was furious with him. And then she said, and then, you know, I felt God speak to me and say, yes, and this is what you're doing to my house. And this is how I feel about what you're doing to what I have created and I have invested myself into. And it was a real wake-up call for her as for the first time she got a bit of a glimpse into God's heart for this amazing, wonderful world that he's made. So God has created this world and he loves it. Secondly, he's created us to look after it. This wonderful idea of coming alive, this wonderful theory, we are alive because God has breathed his breath into us. Genesis 2, God breathed his breath into Adam's nostril, and the, the Adam became a living being. We are who we are. We become who we are because of God breathing his breath into us. Incidentally, we're not the only ones who God breathed his breath into, so please don't read Genesis 2 as God giving us some sort of a soul or something like that, because that's not biblical at all. Genesis 1 also has God breathing. It talks about all the living creatures that God has breathed into. It's just that it's described in a bit more detail in Genesis 2. But we have been created to look after what God has made. So Genesis 1, 26 to 28 talks about us being made. Do you know what, what it is? What, how are we described as being made? What's the phrase? In the image of God, we are alike to the other animals, the other creatures that are made on day six in so many different ways. The one way by which we're different is that we are made in God's image. This has a, a long background as to what it means, and um, it's not a phrase that was plucked out of the sky by the author of Genesis and made up. 
there was a phrase that was well known in that culture in the Babylonian period within which Genesis is probably finding its final form. And it's about being God's representative and God's ambassador. And the, the phrasing, the wording of Genesis 1, 26 to 28 could read, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. We've been made in God's image so that we would take care of the rest of what has been made. And if you're worried, uh, understandably, about this idea of ruling over, just think for a moment of God's idea of rulership. God's idea of rulership is about love, it's about care, it's compassion, it's looking after the, the widow and the stranger and the, the childless and the orphan. Ultimately, it's about servanthood, isn't it? So if we are told to rule over the rest of the natural world, actually we're to do so with servants. It's totally upside down idea of everything is in the kingdom of God. It's not about subjugation and oppression and using resources for our own good. We are here to serve the rest of what God has made. But thirdly, we know that the world has gone wrong because of us. I'm not going to spend a huge length of time on this. In fact, if you can maybe just flip over to um, a couple more slides, not the next one, but the next one. Yeah, that one, thank you. Just um, three of the, the biggest issues that we are facing in our world today are climate crisis, species loss, biodiversity, and the plastic problem. The, the picture on the left there was taken from a trip, a visit I did some years ago to Tanzania, to the central, right to the center of Tanzania. And I went to visit a chap called Daniel on his samba, his farm shed, he was about 12 acres. And as he showed me around, he wanted to show me the things that he was growing. And this was a field of chili plants. And it was really clear to me as we walked around that his land was dying. Uh, the chili plants don't look very healthy, do they? And everything that he showed me wasn't growing properly. And the reason was because the rains hadn't come. And the rains hadn't come for two reasons. The rains hadn't come because he was experiencing a local climate crisis. Because of poverty, uh, he lived on the floor of the, the, um, the, of the Rift Valley. Lived on the floor of the Rift Valley. Because of poverty, uh, all of the, the, his neighboring area had been cut down. All of the trees had been cut down to provide firewood and others had been, were being grazed, overgrazed by those with their cattle. So he was experiencing localized climate change because of the poverty in that area, which meant that they had had to cut the trees down in order to be able to cook their food. And he was experiencing a global, he was experiencing global climate change because of our global climate crisis caused by the way that we live and the amount of emissions, CO2 emissions and other emissions that we produce through the way that we live. And he was caught in this global and local climate crisis. Biodiversity loss. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with this. We just don't 
don't see the speeches that we used to. Um, I've recently written a book looking at Genesis 1, and that phrasing there is the world teeming with life. We rarely see teeming with life anymore, do we? If we get a butterfly in our garden, we think that's amazing. Whereas there used to be so many around us. Our, our world is dying. The, the biodiversity, the species in our world is dying. And then plastic, we know about it, don't we? It's been highlighted so much. And this is something that we're working on as Clear Fund, as we're working on the other issues too, particularly our climate crisis. And the picture there is taken from one of the areas that we're working in in Pakistan, where we're developing recycling hubs in order to help the local people reduce the amount of plastic that is there, which is impacting on their health and causing an awful environment for them to live in, as well as the plastic that then gets into the waterways, which eventually finds its way into the sea and causes the kind of scenes that we become used to, sadly, used to seeing. So we face these three huge problems of, of climate, biodiversity, and plastic. And just going back a couple of slides to, to that slide, we know that the world has gone wrong because of us. Our world is not environmentally alive. We are killing it environmentally. Again, the, the words of that song of the, the oceans roaring and the mountains bowing down and the trees doing whatever they do. And, and if you read through some of the psalms that express things similarly, how can a tree sing its praises to God if it's being cut down? How can a field dance or cut its hand or whatever it does in Isaiah if it's being desertified, if it's losing all of its goodness? How can the wider natural world, how can the creatures sing their praises to God if they're disappearing? So the world is going wrong because of us. And the, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, actually is very clear on that as well and makes very clear links between human sin, a lack of care for other people, and environmental degradation. But the good news, of course, is that it doesn't finish there. And we have been called to be a part of the solution, working with God. And the positive affirmation is that Jesus Christ died not only for human beings, but for the whole world. And so God has a future for this world. This world isn't just going to be destroyed while we're whisked off into some floaty heaven. That kind of idea owes more to Victorian hymnology than anything that you get in the Bible. God has a future for this world. And I'm aware, just to say, that I'm touching on some really big biblical theological issues. So do come and chat to me afterwards if you want to ask any more about that or see some of the books uh, where I've written a bit more about it. God has a future for this world and he calls us to be a part of it. He calls us to partner with him in working towards that time when there will be no more suffering and sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, as in M-O-U-R-N, where there will be a, a river running through, where the trees will be there with leaves of healing. 
the future that we're looking towards in Revelation 21 and 22 is a beautiful, holistic picture where God dwells with his people and the whole natural world is involved in praising God. And that's the future that we work towards. That's the future that we want to be a part of. So how can we, how can we take some steps towards doing that? How can we come alive environmentally in order to enable the environment to come alive? And I want to talk about standing in the gap. G-A-P, that's around giving, acting, and praying. What can we do? We can stand in the gap. We can give. And I know that you already do as a church. I know that you give to Peer Fund, obviously, but I know that you give elsewhere as well. And I really believe that we so well are patronage by where we put our money. And we can say all we like, but actually it's our money that speaks about what is in our hearts and where our values are. So I would really ask you, absolutely unashamedly, to be thinking through who are you giving to, where are you giving to, are you giving into organisations that are working around these issues of plastic and the climate crisis, helping the wider natural world to come alive. And I know many of you here already give to Fear Fund. If you would be interested in looking at that some more, if you don't already, then there's information about that at the back. But of course, there are other organisations that you can give to as well. So I'm not just wanting to push you towards Fear Fund. But I would encourage you, wherever you choose to put your money, give in a way that helps the wider natural world to come alive. And then action. You can act in two ways. Firstly, by calling on others to act. And secondly, by living it out in our own lives. And if you could put up the next slide. Action. It's part of our Christian responsibility and our, not just responsibility, our Christian privilege to be speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. And when we look at the, the big challenges that are facing our world, we know that there are big issues behind that. And there are big systemic issues, issues around our economic system, issues around our food system, issues around trade and trade justice. Big things are going on behind why the world is in such a crisis. And we need to be involved in that, in calling governments and businesses to be putting into place policies and practices that work in favour of the world's poor and of the wider natural world, rather than, as currently happens all too often, working against. And one of the areas that we're focusing on at Fear Fund is this rubbish campaign. We're doing our most rubbish campaign ever. <laughs> and it may well be that you've, uh, you've already got involved with it here, I'm not sure. But when it comes to responding to the problems of plastic, we know there's lots that we can do ourselves. But actually, the companies that produce the plastic need to take responsibility as well. And so we're calling on Coca-Cola, Nestle, Unilever, and PepsiCo 
to change their behavior when it comes to plastic and plastic packaging. And we're, uh, we've got very clear asks that we're asking of them. And you can get involved with that. You can go online. You can sign the petition. One of the teams that I oversee at Clear Fund is the advocacy team. And they do brilliant work calling companies, calling governments to account. But the only way that we can do that is through individuals getting involved. The government won't change, businesses won't change, unless they think that's what we want. All the time, we are happy to continue on our regular way. Uh, they will keep doing what they do. They, they, won't, they don't need to change. So they need us to push them to bring about change, to change their policies and change their practices. If you would like to be one of our peer fund activists and find out more about that, there's a card at the back that you can fill in. We, we want to create a, a movement of people who are standing for something different. A movement of people who will say, it is not good enough that we are working only in favor of the wealthy in this world. It's not good enough that we are extracting the world's resources unfairly. It's not good enough that we are producing plastic that is drowning our world. It's not good enough that we are still investing so heavily in fossil fuels when we know that our climate crisis means we need to move away from that. As followers of Jesus, we follow a God who loves this world, has called us to take care of it. And we want to be speaking to those who have those, the big power in their hands and calling them to change. So please, I would ask you, get involved. We need a movement of people who will say it's not good enough. We need to do things differently. So we can act through speaking up on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves and talking to governments, talking to businesses. And then we can act in our own lives as well. Because actually we can't call businesses and governments to change and to do things differently if we're not prepared to make changes ourselves in our own lives. And so thinking about the way that we live and the amount of energy that we consume, the resources that we consume, are a really important part of how we can come alive ourselves environmentally. We can be thinking about how do, how do I eat? How do I get around? How, what about my energy uses? What about the things that I throw away? What about my plastic? How, how do I use plastic? Can I just say, we live in a really complicated world. These issues are not easy. When we look at the system that we are a part of and the damage that we are causing, it's really complicated. And there are so many things that we can do. But I find it helpful to boil it down into these four areas. The food we eat, the way we travel, the energy that we use, and the things that we throw away. So thinking about those four things. And maybe you could think about one thing in each of those areas that you could do at the start of this decade. Not a New Year's resolution, not asking you to do that, 
But just to think at the start of this decade, is there one thing I might be able to do in each of those areas? So let's have, let's have a, a think. What about food? What could we do here in this area? Eat locally. Yeah, great. Pardon? Sorry. Grow your own. Yes. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. That's a fantastic way of really connecting yourself with the wider natural world and helping the environment to come alive. Reduce the amount of meat we eat. Yeah, that actually is the most important thing. Not saying we all have to go vegetarian. Not saying we all have to go vegan. Some of us here will want to do that, and that's absolutely great. The key thing is to reduce the amount of meat and dairy we eat significantly so that we turn our diet on its head so that we predominantly eat a vegetable and grain-based diet. And if we do want to eat some meat, then we eat that maybe once or twice a week. But it's, uh, it's a luxury. It's an added extra rather than the basis of our diet. I can see some of your faces while I'm saying that. <laughs> but we need to do it. <laughs> so, food, travel, one or two ideas here that we can do. Fly less. Yes, a big challenge for me and those of us here who work for Tear Funds. How do we fly less? Something I wrestle with all the time and I'm really trying to, uh, to, to get a handle on and reduce significantly. Again, that's probably the biggest thing that we can do. We've got to become part of this culture where we, just, we don't think anything of jumping on a plane and going off somewhere. And we might need to travel, we might need to fly for work, but let's challenge ourselves particularly around our holidays. Do we really need to fly on holidays? Or could we find ways of holidaying differently? Maybe we could say that we're just going to fly once every five years and have a special holiday rather than it becoming a regular thing that we do, um, do often. So flying less, using public transport more, cutting out our car uses where we can, and so on. What about our energy? One or two things we could do here. Use it, yeah, switch to a, a renewable energy, to a green energy provider. And that's really easy to do. So something like Octopus or Ecocity or Good Energy doesn't necessarily need to cost you more. Some of them guarantee they'll match the price of your local energy supplier. So switch to a green energy supplier. Then that is probably the key thing to do. And then waste, particularly our plastic. Get rid of as much as you can of single-use plastic bottles. So don't have a water. We have it beautifully um, modelled here. Thank you. <laughs> bring, your, bring your heat cup on a Sunday. Uh, don't buy a bottle of water ever. Just make that a kind of regular thing that you won't do it. And lots of other things. Switch to soap. We don't need liquid soap. Uh, shampoo bars, you know, so much. Once you start thinking about it, so much we can do to reduce our plastic usage. So act. How do we stand in the gap? We give, we act, and then finally we pray. And I think it's so important that this is a part of how we become alive environmentally. 
the Psalms are full of wonderful Psalms of the whole natural world giving praise to God. And we can join in that with our worship, with our prayers. But it's one of the things I've learned at Pierpont, that prayer does actually change things. Prayer will actually make a difference. This year, 2020, is a big year for the climate because we have some big meetings coming up. And we at Pierpont Christian Aid, Tafford and others have launched a year of prayer for the climate. Not because it's a nice thing to do, because we genuinely believe that prayer makes a difference. I recently met a woman called Christiana Figueroa, who is one of the, the chief climate UN negotiators, and she oversaw the, the Paris talk that some of you will be familiar with that happened five years ago and led to a historic Paris agreement around climate change. And she said to me, without the faith community, there would be no Paris agreement. It was the faith community that led to the Paris Agreement happening because of our action and because of our prayers. And she's not a person of Christian faith. So pray. Get on your knees. Me too. And pray. You can, if, if you give to peer funds, you will know already that there's a prayer diary that we produce. You can join our year of prayer. You can do that through Christian Aid or Tafford and other organizations as well. But we need to build a movement of prayer in order to see change this year. So standing in the gap, give, act, and pray. And we're going to pray in a moment, pray together and pray for, for those of us who want to respond to this. Before we do, let me just tell you about some of the resources that I've brought that are at the back. Because I really hope my prayer is that this hasn't just been an interesting talk, though I hope it has been interesting, but I want you to go from here and to continue this on and to have resources that will help you take this on now into your own life. And if you're involved in this already, build on it and go deeper with it. So there's a mixture of um, the different peer fund resources that you can pick up if you want to get involved in the work that we're doing or just find out a little bit more. And then also some books that I've written that will help you take this on further from here. So the first one is called Just Living, Faith and Community in an Age of Consumerism. And this really explores the question, how do we live well as Christians in the consumer age? It's our consumer age that is causing the problems that, that we just touched on this morning. And how do we follow Christ in, in such a culture? And just living is an exploration of that. And then Ellie's for Lifestyle, Christian Living That Doesn't Cost the Earth, is a really practical book. It's an alphabet, each letter, uh, so B is for bananas and looks at global trade. Um, and I'm not just, I won't go through the alphabet because I'm going to finish in a moment. You'll have to go over and see. But it, each chapter is pretty short. It's what I sometimes call a toilet book, depending on a fitting. You might be able, wouldn't don't want to comment, and tell me later whether it works. Um, you might be able to read a chapter in a fitting. And it's a very practical book. Because each chapter finishes with two or three practical things that you can go away and do something about the issues that are there 
And then finally, I'm really excited to show you this because it's just come out and you are the first church to get to see it. This is the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book for 2020 and it's called Saying Yes to Life and it's an exploration of Genesis 1. Each chapter looks at one of the days of creation. Perfect, of course, for reading through Lent, but uh, can be read at any other time of the year as well. And, well, I won't go into it anymore, except sound very excited about it, because that's what I was doing last year, and it's just come out. So, <laughs> so that's it at the back, um, and I've got a special offer for all three as well, so do, like a really good offer. Uh, I'm not sure that Pearson knows that I'm sending them so cheaply, but anyway. So do go and have a look at those at the back, and I really hope that they will resource you and give you what you need in order to come alive environmentally and help the environment to come alive.